Thoughts. This is Living with Liberty, your source for common sense and truth. I am your host, Ryan. Today I'll talk about showing appreciation and why Biden's plan to strengthen unions is a misguided one at best. All next on Living with Liberty. At what point did showing some appreciation and gratitude become a controversial topic? Have we come to the point in society where we no longer can show appreciation for someone who may be part of a group that may be ideologically opposed to our own? Margot Vader said once, a simple acknowledgement shows integrity. I take that to mean Whether that person agrees with you or not politically, if they do something worthy of acknowledgement, we should show them a little bit of appreciation. Now it's Teacher Appreciation Week this week. I know I have a number of homeschool teachers out there I interact with who I think get lost in the shuffle of Teacher Appreciation Week and deserve to be recognized as teachers. And I'm positive there are a number of public and private school teachers out there as well whom I interact with. So I put a message out on my social media accounts thanking all teachers, whether they be homeschool or call it traditional uh, school teachers, for their efforts in educating our kids. Now, I wish I could say that I was surprised at some of the feedback I received on my posts, but sadly, I wasn't. And also, sadly, I was actually fully expecting some of the backlash my posts received, just given everything we've seen over the course of this past year with teachers and teachers unions. Now, really, isn't, I think it's a sad state of affairs when you put a statement of appreciation out there and it's politicized in that manner. I'm just trying to show a simple, uh, a, a simple statement of appreciation for some folks that work hard. Now, many of you have heard this from me before or seen it on my posts. Politics is not the answer. I posted that and I was called a dreamer by one person that responded to me who I, their line of thinking seemed to be that the only way out of our current mess is more politics. Now, I'd say that because I've I want to put that out there and and ask, am I being a dreamer here again? I don't think again, but am I being a dreamer here and thinking that we can actually show appreciation without it getting political? What's so hard about putting aside differences and acknowledging teachers for what they do? Now, I have said before, the teachers unions are doing a huge disservice to their membership by the stances they've taken over the last year. And I stand by that. I have also said that teachers should leave their personal politics at the door and teach students how to think and not what to think. And I still stand by that. And I stand by that they shouldn't be out there making TikTok videos on why they won't go back into the classroom until everybody's vaccinated. I will still call those instances out as the destructive forces they are in a child's development. And like I said, I do think it's ridiculous that these Chicago teachers did their cringy little TikTok dance video on COVID and how they weren't returning to the classroom until it was safe. 
in quotation marks, totally ignoring all science that's out there, contrary to what they think that children are super spreaders. However, I think that care needs to be taken that we don't fall into the left's bad habit of categorizing everyone in a group based on the actions of a few. In this case, I think we don't fall into the trap of not showing appreciation to those in a group based on the actions of a few that we don't agree with. Have there been a number of teachers milking this COVID excuse for every last drop it's worth to not return to the classroom? Absolutely there have been. But should we not acknowledge and appreciate the teachers who have gone back into the classroom and who actually teach the kids how to think and not what to think, who actually have returned to the classroom because they understand that they are possibly the only ones giving that child any attention, any love during the course of that day. And the best way to do that is not through a screen, but be in person and there for that child. Those are the teachers that we ought to thank. And those are the teachers I had in mind when I put that statement out there. Absolutely, we should be doing this. Now think of it in this, in this regard. Would you show appreciation for your doctor if they happen to perform a life-saving surgery on you? Or would you not show any appreciation because for that doctor because there are incompetent doctors out there whose uh, erroneous treatments harmed their patients in some way? To me, showing appreciation helps bring a little sanity and humanity back into our daily lives. It helps us feel better. It helps us maybe lift somebody else's day. It drives out the political nonsense we deal with day to day and affirms someone for who they are and what they do or what they have done. It opens up doors to have conversations. If you go in and just tear somebody down constantly and then want to go have a conversation, it's probably not going to go somewhere, uh, go so well. But if you go in, show a little appreciation, acknowledge maybe some of the good they've done, and then have that tough conversation, it goes a lot differently. Now, I like what Brian Wicks has in his bio on his parlor account. Brian and I interact uh, quite a bit, and I'm sure many of you interact with Brian as well. I always appreciate his inspirational posts to start the day. But I like what he has in his bio. Civility gets easier with practice. Sometimes a little civility is what we need to bring a little sanity back into our lives. To help bring us down off the ledge, so to speak. To help, us bring, to help bring us back to being humans and, and interacting with each other in, in a respectful and, dare I say, civil way. Yes, teachers' unions and some teachers have been behaving badly as parents have been trying to get schools back opened up. But these instances shouldn't be viewed as the total sum of teachers and their stance in general. There are still a lot of great teachers out there, and there still are a great many of uh, teachers out there who do their best day to day, who have returned to the classroom, who put their heart and soul into helping students succeed, and for their efforts, they deserve both civility and appreciation. Now, segueing into our next topic, 
Joe Biden needs to pay back his union cronies who donated to his campaign and who turned out the votes for his campaign. So he's pushing as part of his $2 trillion pork plan disguised as an infrastructure bill, new laws to encourage unions and strengthen unions. We are starting to see here, I think, an attempt at government trying to control the labor market. If people wanted to join unions, they would unionize their shops. They would vote in their uh, place of employment to uh, have a union represent them. It's that simple. If they wanted it, they'd go and get it. Now, there are many reasons why union membership has declined in this country over the years. I'll hit a couple of the big ones that I see. First, companies that have moved manufacturing offshore have have contributed to the the decline in union membership. With that moving uh, of the uh, manufacturing offshore, a lot of union jobs went with that, were just gone. Second, workers seemingly today want nothing to do with unions. Now, the Volkswagen plant in Chattanooga, Tennessee, has gone through a unionization vote several times. I believe it's three, three, maybe four at this point. It's been defeated every time. And the last time, uh, I think that unionization vote even had some management support because there's, you know, with some of the, the training and other things that the union could provide the employees, they still didn't want it, even with uh, some, you know, some semblance of a management supporting that at that plant. The Amazon warehouse uh, is probably the most recent example. The workers there in, uh, at the warehouse in Bessemer, Alabama, uh, shot down uni- uh, unionizing that warehouse. They didn't want it there either. Yet, like everything this circus of an administration has done thus far, Biden continues to do the exact opposite of what the people want or what the market is actually calling for. It seems like they want to control everything, particularly the Democrats want to control everything. They think they can control the labor market. They can control people. They can control uh, the, the, uh, the treasury. It's all about control with these people. Now, I've mentioned before the PRO Act, which stands for Protecting the Right to Organize. This act is intended to boost union membership as it will abolish state right-to-work laws, which ban, which those laws ban the mandatory collection of union dues. This is another example to me of blatant corruption and an attempt to satisfy donors and voters, basically. It's setting up the oligarchy. You get the unions now that become the, the, the enforcement arm of labor for the Democrat Party in their, trying, uh, in their attempt to control our economy and our free markets, and, and specifically here the labor markets. But you know, once they have labor, they, you, know, you almost can make uh, corporations bend to your will, or at least that's a thinking here maybe. The name of this act is just also another one of the left's marketing tricks. The right to organize is already protected 
by the Wagner Act that was signed in 1935 that established uh, the right to unionize, the right for employees to uh, unionize, to collectively bargain, and the National uh, Labor Relations Board was all established by the Wagner Act. So to say this is protecting the right to organize is just another marketing trick. That that uh, right has never uh, been unprotected. It's it, it's always been there. It's always been a law. Well, not always, but since 1935, it's been a law. This is really looking at this. There's nothing stopping any group of employees from forming union. There's nothing. No matter what anybody says, no matter what the Democrats say, no matter what the unions say, there is nothing stopping anyone today from forming a union in their place of employment. This boils down to employees just don't want to form a union. It's that to me, it's that simple. We've already seen a couple of uh, of examples here of. Uh, one, in a, in the case of the v, uh, VW plant, multiple attempts at unionizing there, shot down every time. And then, you know, the, the Amazon warehouse in, in Alabama there. Plenty of opportunities there. Employees just don't want to, to form them. What this boils down to, what this act and what Biden and the Democrats are trying to do is uh, it's an attempt to punish the states that have right-to-work laws for enacting those laws that aren't favorable to their Democrat allies. The PRO Act is just another blatant power grab by the Democrats. It's just another way the federal government is trying to gain control over the state's right, over the states, and erode their rights. Now, if the PRO Act were to pass, it's gotten through the House. It's sitting in the Senate right now, where as long as the filibuster is in place, it will die. Um, but if it were to pass, you would see more manufacturing leave, particularly those that are still heavily unionized shops. You would see higher prices as industries where labor is a major input, things like e-commerce and hospitality. So your Amazon warehouse where you have the cost of, of the product itself, uh, but labor is a major input in getting it out the door. Hospitality, where it's a major input, is the labor itself and uh, everything that goes on with taking care of a hotel, etc. You see those uh, industries totally unionize. It would drive up costs, and those costs wouldn't be absorbed by the company the company would pass those on to you in the form of higher prices. Free markets work. Whether it's goods, services, or labor, free markets allocate resources where they are needed and desired the most. There isn't even a consensus that increasing union participation would even increase wages, as is the reason that Biden's uh, putting out here as far as wanting this PRO Act to get through. Now, Harry Holzer, a Georgetown professor and economist, points out that it will be very hard at this point to resuscitate unions and collective bargaining in their current form. Why is that? goes back to 
how la- the labor market has shift, like it's list shifted. Like I said, mar- free markets allocate resources where they're needed and wanted the most. And uh, in this case, where it costs the least. It's a global marketplace for labor. That's why unions and the whole this whole idea of collective bargaining is, in its current form anyway, is what Harry Holzer is getting at here, is why it's, it's probably not going to pan out. As companies have opened plants around the world, that has opened up the labor markets. They've put those plants in uh, places where, honestly, where labor is cheap. Mexico, China, Vietnam. It's turned labor into a commodity. Now, let me clarify that a little bit here. There are some areas and some uh, jobs where skilled labor is required. It's more technical plant uh, manufacturing positions, things like welders, pipe fitters, robotics technicians. And those really are the types of jobs you see remaining here in the United States. And, you know, to a certain degree, they unionize. But the General Assembly work is what has really become the commodity here in terms of labor. You know, just about anyone can put things together, can put widgets together. You can train anybody to, to, to you know, assemble some sort of, of, you know, widget, whatever it may be. Now, this was different when the world wasn't as interconnected as it is today. Labor had a much more captive audience, even for these commodity-type jobs with your general light assembly. And the unions could go in and demand more money. They could go in and demand uh, things like pensions and better health care and everything like that because it was a much more closed, call it a closed market, so to speak. There wasn't the whole globalization that we have today of our labor market. Now, though, the labor for these things can be done and are done anywhere. A union wage for light assembly work, in my opinion, prices workers, those workers, out of the market. Uh, Now, depending on the type of product, of course, uh, if you're assembling a car, there's one enough margin there in that car to, you know, have the union workers and have not totally move everything off, you know, offshore. Um, enough technicality uh, to that job where, uh, you know, it's a good paying, uh, you know, a reason to to pay a good wage. There's probably some skills there that aren't necessarily super transferable overnight. Now, assembling brakes or seats for that car, that's a different story. I would say something like that. They're relatively simple to assemble. Uh, That probably prices a union employee out of the job. I also think that union membership and kind of pride that goes with, uh, you know, the union folks is, is one of those things that gets handed down generationally. And as union jobs and membership have declined over the years, so did that knowledge and understanding of being a union employee. You didn't have fathers handing that down to their sons. You didn't have mothers who happen to work in factories hand that down to their children either. Um, or, or we're, you know, we're in the unions and, and working in the factories. They, they haven't hand, been able to hand that down to either. Those jobs have disappeared. 
now, like I said, there's a there's a, a couple of thoughts on this. So I'll present another thought here on on uh, kind of a counterpoint on you know the whole unionization thing. So there's a Moody's econom, uh, economist out there. Name is Mark Zandi. He's more bullish on unionization, calling it a way to address income and wealth inequalities or inequities, excuse me, inequities. If there's one thing I've learned in my career, though, it's that these prognosticators at these consulting firms or analytics firms and and think tanks tend to be over optimistic in their thoughts and analysis. Now, just a a brief example, a real-life example from my own personal experience, actually. Now, in my former job, we imported a lot of componentry, electronics componentry, from Asia. So I had a keen interest in uh, how the ocean container uh, shipping and the container capacity was, because I was responsible for, my team was, for scheduling the plant. So I would need to know when I could expect the material at my dock door so we could schedule it to be run in the plant. What we have seen over the last year plus or so, uh, as the economies have opened up, or call it about a year, not not a year plus at this point, I guess it's only May, but call it about a year or so, as we've seen the economies open up, containers started becoming short supply. And then we started seeing the sailings of the ships become in short supply because they, uh, as a, the pandemic uh, raged on, a lot of ships just kind of canceled their routes. So we had a shortage of, of ship capacity out there. And then after that, once the ships and containers started rolling in full, we started to see port capacity become tight. And ports not be able to unload ships fast enough. Now, currently, uh, there are many ships anchored off of our ports waiting to unload in the the ports themselves because of this backup. So if you're wondering why shelves are bare, that's why. Just that's kind of my aside there. Um, Some of my kind of supply chain nerdiness going on there. But uh, at, at any rate here, Late last year, it was the same industry analysts who said the backlog within the ocean shipping lanes uh, would be cleared out by quarter two of this year, quarter two, 2021. Now, this was end of last year, November, December. I was, you know, my colleagues, like I said, we had a good, uh, had a keen interest in this because our our parts were coming in. So I, my uh, colleague and I were talking. I said, no, no way. This uh backup and and delays in in shipments coming you know on the over the ocean on the shipping containers this is going to be an all year problem 2021 it's going to be a problem all year now as we got into first quarter january february this year uh those analysts then said well maybe it's going to be more like quarter 3 uh of this year and we'll see this clear up and and now as you read it's now uh, the the uh, estimate is the end of this year or even into early next year when we will see uh, these analysts think we will see that these um, ocean shipping uh, ocean shipping capacity free up and and kind of we'll see the deliveries return to 
uh, to more normal and more on time. And, you know, with that, our, our shelves won't be quite so bare. Now, the point is here is I'm sure Mark Zandi is, uh, he's a smart guy, I'm sure. But he doesn't have the lived experience of being on the ground in industry to know what's actually going on. It's just like those shipping industry analysts. They're only looking at numbers and they're looking at what ships are doing what in the capacity of the ships. They're not actually, you know, trying to get on the ground and see what's actually going on. They're not in the industry day to day to get the lived experience of what's going on and how things are actually moving in terms of uh, just the transfer of these containers and getting them unloaded and everything else. Zandi, I think, to the same point here, he doesn't have that lived experience of being on the ground, actually looking at why uh, and understanding why uh, unionization isn't going to happen, why these uh, people at uh, the Volkswagen plant and uh, Amazon warehouse in Alabama said no to the union. You know, it's probably not because they you know, they didn't turn it down because they, they thought union joining the union was going to get them better pay. If they knew that, I'm sure they would have joined it. There, there's much more there. So to say that um, joining, a, you know, a, a big mass unionization movement is going to solve all of our wealth and, and income inequities is, you know, from, from an economist even is, you know, is a bit preposterous if you ask me. I, I think Zandi, Mr. Zandi here forgets that, Labor is a global market now, and that's what drives the prices down. Companies are going to go where the best price is for every input into whatever product or service they're providing. And when you have that much competition, such as a global labor market, if you're going to try and and solve some of the wealth and income inequities, as he put it, the best way to do that is having uh, those people having skills employees are uh, having the skills employers are seeking. That's what's going to drive out the income and wealth inequities, not increasing union membership. It's it's the free market of labor. If you have to have something employers want in order to get paid, that's how things work. Now I've got one more here, another economist. It's. Um, Arizona State University economist Bart Hobgen, he puts it this way in terms of what will drive wage growth. He states that uh, increases in union organizing is unlikely to contribute to an increase in wage growth in the long run. What drives wage growth in the long run are technology, globalization, as well as education and infrastructure investment. Now take some of that for what you will, but uh, kind of one thing I read into here and what I think about is mainly that technology piece. It's having the marketable skills that employers are seeking. Having skills that are in short supply is what's going to drive your wages up. That is what gets you paid more in the long run. As the world becomes more technology-driven, being skilled in those technical arenas is what's going to drive up wage growth for workers. Having hard-to-find skills, especially those that companies are willing to pay for that put a premium price on, is what's going to drive the wage growth for the workers in the future. Artificially inflating wages through 
call it increased or coerced if this PRO Act passes, uh, union membership, particularly for commodity-type jobs like assembly work, will only serve to price that labor out of the market and push more jobs to lower cost in, dare I say, union-free areas. Places like the southern United States, where we've seen a boom in manufacturers uh, coming in there, both of those that have relocated domestically and international companies that have uh, opened up U.S. operations and looked for places to open uh, a cost-effective operation here. It's been in the southern United States. What we are seeing here is the attempt at satisfying the Democrats' campaign donors as well as a decreasing part of the voting public in terms of those that, are, uh, that have union membership. Biden's idea to try and strengthen unions is also a way to try and control the economy and punish states that have taken the side of liberty and choice by leaving it up to the individual worker to decide if they want to give money to an organization that may or may not comport with their values and ideals. In the end, this is just another disastrous idea, another blatant power grab that, if enacted, will have far-reaching consequences on America's labor competitiveness. That's my show for today. Thank you for listening. I'd be very grateful if you checked out my website, livingwithlibertypodcast.com. You'll find my original articles there, as well as other resources to help keep you informed. Also, I'd be very appreciative if you subscribed to my show and left a positive review. It helps us move up the charts and helps more people find the truth. I appreciate you spending part of your day with me. Please help us spread the truth by sharing my show and website with friends and family. My website is livingwithlibertypodcast.com. Also, let's connect. You can do that by subscribing to my show as well as signing up for notifications. Follow me on social media. My main account is on Parlor. I am at Living with Liberty. I am also on MeWe. Just search for Living with Liberty. Liberty isn't a given. We must fight to protect it. Working together, we will do exactly that. Until next time.